Welcome to the main event. Let's get ready to rumble. Introducing first, fighting out of the neutral corner, the undisputed, undefeated, baddest boxing podcast on the planet. And now, your host. Eric Rambo. Welcome back to the latest installment of the Baddest Boxing Podcast on the planet, a.k.a. the king of boxing podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Eric Rambo. So guys, in today's episode, what I want to do, I want to talk about uh, three fights in particular, two that have already happened and one upcoming. Uh, so this episode might not be as long as my uh, my previous few episodes, but again, these are just some topics that I feel I want to talk about, and hopefully they pique your interest. And again, let me know what you think about these three fights. Uh, first things first, um, if you guys didn't catch the um, Rob Brandt and Hassan uh, Baisangarov fight, um, you definitely missed a good one on ESPN this past weekend. Uh, I, I was curious to see, you know, if Rob Brandt was a real deal. I mean, he, you know, we saw what he did against uh, Ryota Murata. Where in a fight where he, obviously he won the WBA middleweight strap, and he was definitely, at least in my opinion, I think not only in my opinion, I think the odds were against him. I think he was the underdog in the Murata fight, uh, where a lot of people favored Murata, um, and it, it was so much so that people were actually projecting Murata to potentially take on Triple G at, uh, I believe the talk was in the uh, Tokyo Dome, obviously in Japan, uh, in an upcoming fight. However, that didn't come, that didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And Rob Brandt uh, obviously worked over, uh, worked over Murata, won the unanimous decision. Uh, so I was kind of interesting to see, I was kind of interested to see how he would do against um, an undefeated younger fighter, uh, Besangarov. Don't really know too, too much about him coming into that fight. Knew that he was kind of sturdy, undefeated. I think he was 17-0 at the time. Um, obviously a rank contender. Good for Brandt to really kind of show us and show the boxing public and show his fans on ESPN uh, what he can do. Matter of fact, I think ESPN set it up so he was fighting in his hometown, which really uh, made the uh, that mu- made him that much more of an attraction for that fight. Um, and I will say he didn't disappoint. Uh, he looked very good in that fight, fought very well, you know, on the inside, outside, high volume guy. Um, definitely showed flashes of power, and obviously you know, was able to work over uh, Basangarov in the later stages of that fight in the 11th round. So it showed that he does carry power later into the fights. Uh, we'll be curious to see, you know, what he can do against some of the other elites of the division. Because I think now we got to put him up there as well. He uh, he is a champion. Um, he did defeat Murata. While Basangarov may not be the, the top tier of the middleweights, uh, he is... You know, he is ranked, so we got to give we got to give Brandt some credit where credits due. Good showing, uh, good fight, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what he does in the future as well. Because I think I think the future is bright for him. And one thing I want to comment on Brandt, uh, very well put together as far as uh, both technically inside the ring and outside the ring. He sound you know outside the ring being um, 
you could tell a lot from when a fighter does a post-fight interview and how well and how articulate he is. And, you know, just he seems like he's got a very, uh, very clear path. Uh, what him and his team, that is what him and his team plan on doing in the future. Uh, he got, he did give credit where credit's due to Canelo uh, being, you know, the premier uh, middleweight, if you will. So it was kind of, it was kind of respectful and refreshing to see um, that type of fighter that's put together. That's, uh, you know, that type of, uh, you know, that shows that type of savvy in the ring, very humble outside the ring. Uh, from a fan's perspective, I kind of like that. I kind of like seeing that. That's a good uh, representative for the, the sport in the middleweight division as well. Not that any of the other middleweights aren't like that, uh, but it was it was kind of cool to see. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, I'll be looking forward to seeing what he could do. Now, what do I think he can do as far as some of the other middleweight champions? I... I don't know right now. Uh, we got to see him against better, you know, better opposition. Maybe against Andre. Um, you know, I don't think he's on the same level as a Danny Jacobs and Canelo, or or maybe even a Triple G right now. But again, with Triple G, we got to you know we got to see what he's got going on. I mean, I haven't heard anything recently about him jumping in the ring anytime soon. So, you know, I, I think I did hear that he signed with the Zone, but everything's been kind of quiet on the Triple G front. For right now. So again, Rob Brandt, the future looks bright for him. Uh, we'll see how he does against some of the upper tier of the division. Um, there's a vacant strap out there right now. Obviously, he's a WBA champ, but you have uh, the IBO strap out there that's vacant. Be something that Brandt sets his, you know, has his sight set on. Uh, that could also be something I think that Triple G is looking at too as well, the IBO strap that is. Uh, so to be determined. But again, it'd be nice to see some unification uh, fights going on. As well, you know, along with uh, Canelo and uh, Jacobs, uh, would be good maybe to see a Brant Andre fight. I think that would be a very, uh, very intri- intriguing matchup. If I had a, if I had to kind of pit, you know, two champions together besides Jacobs and Canelo, I, I think Andre and in, uh, I think Andre and uh, Brant would be a good, uh, good showing. I think two, two interesting skill sets. I think that they're both. Uh, you know, at the same level uh, with respect to their own skill sets. They are kind of unique. Andre's kind of unique in his own right. But I think, uh, you know, he's he's a, a true craftsman at what he does. Uh, kind of like Billy Joe Saunders, too. I think, I think Billy Joe Saunders does what he does very well. And again, I think that paves the way for... Um, yeah, you know, I think I would like to see that. You know, obviously with Canelo taking on Jacobs, I think you unify... Um, so you unify Brant and Andre, and then maybe have uh, Triple G and Billy Joe Saunders take it out, you know, take on uh, each other for the IBO vacant strap. I think there you go. That that's that's my plan for the middleweight division. If you guys uh, you guys have anything else to add in there, let me know. Uh, but I think that that would be a nice uh, you know nice blueprint for a uh, ultimate unified champ one day where. Then you have all three unified champs fighting each other for the uh, undisputed championship at middleweight divi- at the middleweight division. Uh, but yet to be determined. Obviously, a lot of politics that go into making that happen. Uh, will it happen? Probably not. But uh, Canelo definitely seem, seems hungry enough. Uh, Brant and Andre they seem young and hungry enough too. And uh, you know, obviously, I'm throwing that little sprinkle of Triple G and uh, Billy Joe Saunders, giving them some respect in there as well. Um, but obviously, as of right now. Those two aren't really the big players in this, uh, you know, for the big four straps. 
So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And uh, either way, it's looking pretty good. But uh, interesting to see where Brandt goes next. All right, guys. So the next fight I want to talk about is what I feel is probably the biggest upset so far. I know we're I know we're relatively just starting 2019, but uh, without a doubt, I think this has to be the biggest upset of 2019 so far. Um, and that is uh, Alberto Machado versus Andrew Cancio. Now, I really I, I I like many of the other experts, maybe like you guys as well. Um, I basically thought that Machado was on a clear path to, you know, destroying everybody that was put in front of him at, uh, at one thirty. Um, I, you know, could kind of see where maybe he was going to take on some of the elite, more elite of the division, if you will, you know, maybe a, a potential payday with Gervonta Davis or Tevin Farmer, um, or even Burkelt. Um, however, obviously, as we saw on February 9th, uh, Andrew Concio had another plan for him. Now, Concio, we knew was kind of a, um, you know, a tough kid, but he was kind of like a, you know, a bread and butter fighter, you know, kind of bounced in and out, you know, had a, you know, won a good fight against Rocky Juarez back in the day. Um, didn't really have, um, you know, too big of, too big of fights. Wasn't getting as much exposure, you know, fought for some minimal titles, if you will, NBF title loss to Joseph Diaz. Um, won the WBA Intercontinental Super Featherweight title um, last year, but nothing really, nothing really big. Like uh, you know, he wasn't really a big time, you know, uh, gate draw fighter, if you will. But Machado went ahead and, and took this fight, went to go fight Concio in his home home turf, um, and much like everybody else, we thought it was going to be a wash. We thought, you know, we thought, uh, you know, Machado was going to go ahead and just you know, blow out Concio and uh, move on, move on to his dominance. Now, I will say this, um, you know, in the rich history of, you know, Puerto Rican fighters and everything like that, you know, I thought Machado, and he still may be, um, obviously taking an L doesn't mean anything if you're a warrior in the ring, you're going to keep going, you're going to keep moving forward. I, you know, in regards to Puerto Rican fighters, obviously we've seen that with Trinidad, we've seen that with uh, Cotto as well. But personally, I thought that, you know, Machado was going to be that next great, you know, Puerto Rican fighter, uh, you know, making his mark, you know, as far as that great lineage goes. Um, and, you know, it was kind of surprising to see him, you know, get get kind of stopped the way how he did. But it wasn't really like a devastating stoppage, you know. I mean, Conceal fought a great fight, you know, he fought a great game plan, he did what he was supposed to do. But something did just seem off with Machado. And, you know, while it may be common knowledge to when when I mention this, but at the end of the day, you know, Machado is a 5'10", 130-pounder. 5'10", that is huge in that division. I can't imagine how much stress, even though he's young, I mean, he's very, you know, he's very young, but how much stress he puts on his body to to make it, you know, make it down to 130 pounds. I mean... You know, yeah, he's he's had 21 fights. Uh, you know, he's 20. Okay, so he's 28 years old. He's had 21 fights. Um, but then again, 5'10", who knows what he walks around at. I mean, you know, your average 5'10", probably 5'10", 5'10 guy walks around at 28 years old. I would say probably 170, 175, 180 maybe. Um, so for him to maintain, either he's putting his body through a lot of stress or, you know, I'm sure he's got a fast metabolism, whatever. But 
to me, it just seems like maybe maybe the jury's out that it's a struggle for him to maintain uh, 130 and stay down at 130. Now, granted, there's a lot of big money fights at Super Featherweight. Um, I had mentioned a few, um, you know, before with, uh, you know, Gervonta Davis, Tevin Farmer, uh, Burkhill, uh, Masayuki Ito, um, Rakimov. You, you have a lot of talent down there, which is intriguing for him to stay down there. But at the end of the day, if it's going to, you know, detract from what you're destined to be, which I think he's destined to be great. Um, and he is great. I think, I, I just think he had an off night, which is okay. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's, there's the beautiful thing about boxing is you have all these different divisions and you're talking about a difference of, you know, five, seven pounds, you know, that you can go up, um, you know, why not? I personally, I think that he would be a good 140, you know, super lightweight. Um, I think that there's, uh, that division's kind of up for the taking for him right now. I mean, you got, yeah, Jose Ramirez up there. You got Maurice Hooker. Um, but I think that that division, uh, might be a good fit for him. It gives him 10 extra pounds to kind of fill into. Cause look, I, I mean, even though he's 28 years old, yeah, you know, it's relatively young, but he's still going to grow, you know, uh, you know, over the next maybe four or five years, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that he can go all the way up to, you know, maybe, maybe middleweight. I mean, he, he's got a big enough frame to do that. I mean, I think he definitely could maybe go up to 154, um, at least maybe, I mean, at 510, I mean, he's just as tall, you know, he's not as thick as like a Jared Hurd up there. Um, but I think he definitely can make his way up to welterweight. The question is now, um, you know, can he handle that type of power at that, that size i think so i, I think the, the man is skilled enough um i think he can you know i think what we saw was kind of a fluke i think we saw um a guy that was either undertrained or overtrained, or he was just concentrating strictly on dieting to make it or cutting weight just to get down to that i think that's what we may have witnessed um you know a few days ago or last week rather um it's unfortunate because now obviously he's got a blemish in his career but i don't think that was you know Yes, even though he was stopped, um, I think he knew at that point, like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, I can't go on. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying, I'm running on empty here. I think that it's it's better I just, you know, count my loss right now and then move forward. That's the type of defeat that I think he took. I don't think it's detrimental to his mindset. I don't think it's detrimental to his skills. You know, as what I mean by that is, you know, I think I've mentioned before, and you guys already know, like, you get a fighter that's devastatingly knocked out. They're not the same. They leave a little something in the ring as well. Um, I don't think that's the case with Machado. I think Machado's going to come back, be just fine. Um, I think that, you know, maybe he now realizes, and hopefully his team realizes that he needs to maybe move up. Now, again, maybe there was something else going on. Um, I did read that he mentioned uh, that he only got, I think, about four to five weeks of training uh, out in L.A. prior to this fight. I don't know what that means as far as, you know, you know, if he usually gets five, six, seven weeks of training in, eight weeks of training in, um, was he cutting weight up until that? Did he use that five weeks just to strictly cut weight? Um, who knows? But at the end of the day, both him and his team know what's best for uh, Machado, and I think he'll come back uh, better. And I, I hope he does, and I hope he comes back better, and I hope he, you know, he proves that, hey, this was just a fluke. Um, I need to go up and wait. Or, you know, he just puts more training in and, and figures out what went wrong. Maybe he wasn't feeling good. I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, um, 
I think the writing's on the wall for him. Maybe it's time for him to move up um, and pack on a little bit more weight, bring some power up to the heavyweight divisions. Um, like I said, I think a perfect fit for him may be 140 right now until he puts on uh, maybe a little bit more muscle mass and then moves up to uh, welterweight or super, uh, super welterweight. But let me know what you guys think. Um, if you feel another way about that loss or you feel another way about what he, uh, how he looked, uh, let me know. Uh, if you think he should stay at 130 or you think he should go up even to 135, uh, to me that may be still not enough. Even though there's, there's definitely bigger fighters up there, I think, I think for him uh, he has the frame to go up to, you know, to 140 easily. I, personally, I think he, he bypasses one, 135 and goes right up to 140. And then within a year, he goes up to 147 and takes on that talent-rich welterweight division. Uh, but again, that's, you know, that's just my theory. Let me know what you guys think. Um, if it makes sense to you, let me know. If it doesn't, let me know as well. All right, guys. The last fight I want to talk about today um, is the Jarrell Miller-Anthony uh, Joshua fight that's scheduled for... June 1st of this year. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I, I definitely don't want to make this sound like I'm, I'm not excited or eager for it. Uh, but a couple points to make on this. As, you know, an Amer- obviously American fight fan, no disrespect to any other countries out there. Um, obviously, credit where credit's due. I think, uh, you know, right now American heavyweights are having a hard time keeping up with uh, their uh, European counterparts. Um but with that being said, you know, there's such a lineage with American heavyweights that that attractions there to want to see them, want to see them succeed and everything, everything that comes with that. Because there was always such a dominance of American heavyweights in the, in, the, in the past, right? So looking at our current crop of American heavyweights, uh, obviously we got Deontay Wilder, uh, Dominic Brazil, um, and Jarrell Miller. And Kanaki, if you want to, if you want to consider him as well. Um, even though I think he is a natural, I believe he's naturalized. I'm not, I'm not sure, but either way he fights under the Polish banner for the most part, but he's, I think he's American too as well. Um, but with Jarrell Miller, um, I think what really bothers me about this fight is yes, I, I get that he's 30 years old. I got it. Uh, there is potential there. I mean, he's always, um, what I mean by that, uh, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. He's 30 years old. However, I just don't think that the resume, you know, the resume is there yet. So I understand that the age might be an issue. So his team and him are eager to get in there with one of the elites of the division. Now, I, you guys know as well as I do, P, fighters are always confident. They're confident in their abilities. They may think that they can beat, you know, uh, Anthony Joshua. But clearly... Uh, I believe Jarrell Miller is over his head with this fight. And I like Miller. I, I think that I think that there is a lot of potential there. And that, that's what I was alluding to before with the potential. I think there's a lot of potential there. However, um, you cannot tell me that Jarrell Miller has experience needed to beat somebody like Anthony Joshua right now. Uh, sorry, uh, Ademic, uh, Dupaz, Wok, uh, Gerald Washington. These guys are not... Um, they are not Anthony Joshua, you know, they're, uh, unfortunately it is what it is. They're, they're not of the same skill set. Um, and it's a shame to put, to have to put Jarrell Miller in the ring with, uh, with Anthony Joshua right now. I believe to me, I believe this is going to be a very easy fight for Joshua. 
I, I believe that there's flaws that, um, you know, Jarrell Miller currently possesses that haven't been exposed because of the competition he's fighting. First and foremost, he comes forward, he, he leaves himself wide open, uh, maybe because he believes in the size, his power. Um, he is a big dude. He's 6'4". Um, I want to say he walks around probably about 250, 260. So, he, you know, he's a big, thick dude, but he's wide open. And, you know, I've seen him in fights, again, again against lesser competition where, you know, he kind of gets, I'm not saying he gets stunned or anything like that, but maybe because he leaves himself so open, um, it's easy for him to get to get hit. He makes himself a pretty pretty open target. He cannot do this against somebody like like Joshua. Um, again, while there's there's plenty of potential there and he's got him he does have a lot of pop, he's not, you know, he's not gonna be fighting somebody like a Danu um that's you know you know my point is Joshua's not these guys. So to put him in after not fighting and I'm gonna be honest, you know, he's fighting B level if you even can call these guys B-level fighters. Now he's going to go in and fight the premier heavyweight in the heavyweight division. Um, I just don't foresee it working out in his favor. Uh, I think that there's a lot more fights that could be made to see if Miller is the real deal. First and foremost, I would love to see um, maybe a Luis Ortiz Miller. Let's put Miller in with somebody that's not as good as Joshua, but good enough. I mean, let's see, let's see him fight. Uh, I know there's talk he won't fight Kanaki or something like that. I guess they're buddies or something. But regardless, uh, okay, let's put him in with uh, even somebody like Andy Ruiz. Let's put him in with somebody like Pulev. Let's put him in, put him in with Brazil. Uh, put him in with uh, let's see who else we got out there. Uh, Dillian White, Chisora. I mean, these are all other guys that could kind of allow us to gauge, you know, where Miller is. And I say all this, not as criticism to Miller, but for all of us that are putting hope in Miller right now, because again, another up-and-coming heavyweight, got a lot of pop, impressive record, we haven't seen what he does when he fights, you know, how he's going to fight against better competition. That's what I don't, you know, I don't want to see him, you know, not succeed, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. And I don't know, I may be biased in my opinion with this, I, I read a lot of social media posts where people are like, well, he's a top 10 contender. Yes. But again, um, let me, let me, let me just rattle off probably the last five fights this guy's had. Uh, Bogdan Dinu, Thomas Ademic. Okay. Ademic was a quality, uh, cruiserweight, like heavyweight, but that's just it. He was no heavyweight. Never was. Yeah. He had a couple good fights under his, under his belt. But come on, man. He was, you know, he doesn't have the bone structure to be a big heavyweight. So, of course, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, easy for, you know, easier for, for Miller. Um, Duopas, okay, another journeyman. Uh, Wack, another journeyman. Gerald Washington, okay, we just saw what Kanaki did to Washington. Uh, Fred Kasi, okay, I, uh, got it. Nick Golvis, okay, Donovan Dennis, Akor Maralimov, Excel Holmes. Let me tell you something. <laughs> let, let, let's that that's his last like seven fights right there okay now let's look at joshua okay pavekin parker Takam, klitschko molina brazil should i keep going this is the type of competition that you're about to and, and he's obviously beaten all these fighters um 
with the exception of Joseph Parker, all of them have been knocked out or all of them have stopped. So my thing is, I just don't want to see, you know, the Miller train get derailed while it's still just beginning. But yet again, I, I get this is boxing. I get this is all about making money. And, and you know, Miller deserves, you know, he, he's a good spokesman for the for the sport. Um, I do think the guy carries a, a lot both in and out of the ring. And I do want to see him succeed. But unfortunately, I, I make the call. I think this fight is stopped within six. Um, obviously, we got a little bit of time to go before then. We're going to see the hype machine build this up. Um, I'd like to see a better showing from... Uh, from Miller, uh, I would love to see it go to distance, and I would love to see Miller possibly win, but I just don't think that he has the skills, and I don't think he has the resume to compete with somebody who's elite like Joshua right now. And, and that's my that's my thought on this. Um, again, I think that there's a lot of other heavyweights out there that Miller could be fighting. I personally, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but it is what it is. I, I don't think he's deserving of a title shot right now. However, maybe maybe this is the only fight Joshua could get in, in the United States. And again, with that being said, kudos to both of these guys for making it happen. Um, you know, good on Hearn, good on uh, Joshua or Parker, excuse me, good on Joshua and good on Miller and his team for making this happen. But at the end of the day, um, I think that this I hope that this is not just not a payday for Miller. I hope that he, you know, he goes out and, and does what he needs to do and and you know, at least puts up a good showing so that his career can can continue regardless i'm sure it's going to continue but at the end of the day to me i just think that this is this is a gross mismatch um again <laughs> you know miller you know obviously he's he's done a lot to you know verbally to put himself in the picture much like uh uh shannon uh briggs back in the day you know let's go champ you know let's let's you know keeping his name relevant, get himself out there. You know, I think he lays a blueprint on how you, how you get yourself exposure. I think Miller kind of followed that. And, um, you know, Miller has the, the record to, uh, to get him that exposure. He has the ranking to get him exposure, but, uh, it's just a shame. I would like to have seen, you know, I would like to have seen him maybe have some beat some upper level opponents. So maybe he can actually go to the table and get a little bit bigger of a purse than what he's actually getting for this fight. But uh, again, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see. Wishing Miller the best. Um, but again, I stand my ground with this, and I think he's I think he's grossly overmatched in this fight. I say that, and I know that there's a lot of fans out there that do not like Joshua, but I think the writing's on the wall. You have to look at what Joshua's done out of the current crop of heavyweights. Uh, the guy's fighting everybody, regardless if you like him or don't, if you think Fury's the better fighter, you think Wilder's the better champion. <laughs> Um, you have to look at what, what, what Joshua has done. And now here is another top 10 heavyweight that Joshua, in my opinion, is going to be and going to be convincingly, uh, to once again, bolster his resume and bolster his status as an elite heavyweight and an elite heavyweight champion. Once again, something that the other champions, i.e. Wilder, with the exception of Fury are not doing, um, so, again, at the sacrifice, potential sacrifice of Miller, again, Joshua is going to be, uh, you know, one more peg up on that uh, elite status of the heavyweight division. Whether you like him or not, it is what it is. You have to admit that that is the case.
I'd be curious to get your guys' opinion on that because I know, again, I know there's a lot of people that, that kind of disagree with that and they don't like Joshua, but I really would like to hear some counter arguments to that as far as, you know, oh no, Joshua's fighting, he's cherry picking. Look, I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, you would have to show me an example of who is not, who's fighting better competition out there. Who's fighting the elite of the heavyweight division? Nobody except for him. Again, Wilder's got Ortiz and Fury under his belt. Joshua, his last seven opponents have been, you know, either gatekeepers or the upper tier of the division. Um, so I think the, uh, the jury's out on that. I, I can't see any other heavyweight that's fighting better competition right now. And, and as it seems, uh, you know, Joshua's clearing out the division. And again, unfortunately, I think Miller is another step to him getting closer and closer to... Um, you know, getting closer and closer to unifying the titles. And he's going to do it on American soil this time. Um, so hopefully, whatever needs to happen soon, I guess this is just paving the way, hopefully, to a Wilder-Joshua fight. Um, I know Wilder still has some business to take care of with Fury, um, or a Fury-Joshua fight, uh, or, you know, whatever. Some combination of those three. Um, let's not forget about Dillian White, too, as well. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but again, interesting, intriguing fight to see Miller, Joshua, June 1st, um, again, hoping that it is, hoping my prediction's wrong with this, but again, I think that it's, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided fight, and, uh, we shall see. So those are the three fights I wanted to talk to you about, um, just, I had to get it off my chest, hopefully you guys find them interesting. Um, or hopefully you guys are wondering some of the same stuff that I'm wondering for those three fights or had some questions or hopefully I answered the questions. If you got more, definitely hit me up, uh, baddestboxingpodcast at gmail.com or go ahead and hit me up uh, via Twitter or Instagram, uh, boxingpodcast1, baddestboxing on Twitter. Um, but let's go ahead and take a look at some upcoming fights real quick. Okay, so October 23rd, excuse me, February 23rd, I'm jumping ahead of the game over here. Uh, February 23rd on Showtime, you got James DeGale and Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, looking to do it again here. Um, let's see, on DAZN, same day, you got Humberto Soto fighting Brandon Rios. And on FS1, you have Anthony Durrell taking on Andy Yildiram. Uh, let's see here. On March 2nd on Showtime, you got Brian Castano versus Arsandi Lara. Good to see Lara back in the ring. And Luis Ortiz back in the ring uh, versus Christian Hammer. Should be a pretty easy fight for uh, Ortiz. And let's see, moving forward to March 9th on Fox, you have Sean Porter returning to the ring uh, for his first uh, fight after winning the title against Jordanis Ugas. And you got Edward Rodriguez versus Andres Fanfara. Cruiserweight's doing it. And then on DAZN, same night, you have Dimitri Bival versus Joe Smith Jr. Light heavyweight should be exciting. Um, if you haven't seen Baval, very well polished, uh, very good fundamentals in the ring. Joe Smith, uh, very, uh, heavy handed guy, uh, should be a pretty interesting test for Baval. Uh, but again, Joe Smith's not somebody you could sleep on as well. So, uh, we'll see what Baval can do against a heavy handed guy like, uh, Joe Smith. Uh, you also have Maurice Hooker, uh, taking on Les Pierre, junior welterweights. And then uh, moving forward to March 15th, a fight that I'm interested in seeing, uh, Tevin Ferner, excuse me, Tevin Farmer versus uh, Joan O'Carroll. And uh, let's see, you got Gabriel Rosado versus uh, 
Saluki, uh, middleweights on that on that card. And then uh, another big fight that we're all looking forward to, March 16th, uh, Earl Spence versus Mikey Garcia. Uh, Going to be an interesting one right there. A lot of questions to be answered by, I think, probably Mikey Garcia for the most part. Um, Earl Spence, uh, you know, I think most are expecting him to win this fight. Uh, I think some of the diehard fans are hoping that Mikey Garcia can pull off a major upset. Uh, but I think the size may be a little bit too much, but we'll see. Uh, also on that card, you got uh, David Benavidez versus Jelian Love, super middleweights. And let's see, moving forward, um, March 17th, uh, Michael Conlon versus Ruben Garcia Hernandez and Jesse Magdaleno versus Christopher Diaz. And let's see, guys, I think, oh, here's an interesting one. Uh Alexander Vodzik versus uh, Gumbu light heavyweights. That should be pretty good. If you haven't seen Vodzik fight, uh, he's a pretty another well polished light heavyweight. Uh, again, as I mentioned before, and you guys probably already know, the light heavyweight division is deep with talent right now. Uh, Vodzik being one of them, Bavol being another. Uh, Vodzik is in Teddy Atlas's stable, uh, so that should be pretty, it's always pretty interesting to see, uh, his fighters, as you guys know, Teddy Atlas is very animated in the ring and I can imagine him as a coach as well. Um, so should be, uh, should be pretty interesting. And then moving forward, um, it looks like the word on the street right now is, uh, Lomachenko should be fighting in mid April. Uh, so I guess we'll see. Uh, but all right guys, I think that's about it for me. Um, I know this episode is relatively quick. Uh, but again, just want to bring some, uh, relevant points out there and see what you guys, uh, you know, give you guys something to think about and, uh, talk about for a little bit. And, uh, I look forward to talking to you guys next time. Again, if you got any questions, uh, don't hesitate to contact me via one of the social media, uh, forums or via email at baddestboxingpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, it's my pleasure guys. And I will talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the baddest boxing podcast on the planet. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter for future episodes and updates.